You're listening to the Educated Athlete Podcast, a show dedicated to empowering athletes and practitioners to perform at their best through education. I'm Coach T, and I'm an exercise physiologist. If you want to elevate your game, take your fitness and sport performance to the next level, or become a better coach, this is the podcast for you. Let's learn. All right, all right, man. Welcome back to the Educated Athlete Podcast. Let's get it. My man, Joe Hoy is here from Hoy Fit. How are you, brother? Good, my man. How are you? Good, good, good. Welcome on. We are stoked to have you. Dude, I'm excited to be on. This is honestly yeah. my first podcast, but um, I like it. I'm awesome. Yeah, excited. yeah. Well, let's riff. Let's riff, man. Our, our audience is in for a good one. So, you know, Joe, before we get started, I'd love to, if you could just share your background, your story, why you do what you do, what you're passionate about. Go ahead and just enlighten us. Yeah, of course. So, um, I mean, I think for any guy that has gone into lifting or any like sort of uh, fitness, really, whether it's sports, lifting, CrossFit or anything, it starts in high school, right? Or probably yeah, before sure. that. But um, I mean, you're growing up, you're watching He-Man and Iron Man, you want to be like the big guys. And I was always the smallest dude in high school, which is crazy. And finally, I was just like, all right, that's enough. I'm going to get in the weight room. I'm going to, I'm going to start bench, deadlift, squat. And it didn't do jack for me, right? Because I ate like pizza bites off the bus. Okay. And that, that never, that never did the trick. Um, I mean, I, I gained weight, but it was fat and it was muscle. So okay. I just kept doing that for years and years. And me and a good friend actually stepped in the gym the same day. And this kid blew up. He's, he was like a, a young Arnold, right? Okay. Got, I stayed the same. I was like, what is this guy's trick? And I would see him like every day after school, just like chicken and rice or like something that was a whole food, right? It wasn't pizza bites and crab. Got so it. slowly I got to like pay attention. It's like, all right, like maybe I'll, maybe I'll put in some work outside of the gym too. And uh, that's when things kind of started to fall together. But that was probably five years after I stepped foot in the gym. So it took me a minute. Right, it's right. Just been, uh, it's just been an uphill battle every day, which is perfect. I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So you, your niche is definitely in nutrition. Your realm, nutrition. your scope, you spend yep. all your time studying nutrition. That's your boo bear. Your passion is nutrition nutrition's where it's at um i mean that's what's going to get you or me or anybody else to where they want to be i mean you can you can run all day long or lift all day long but without having the basic building block of having the proper nutrition it's going to get you nowhere so uh i I just laser focused in and spend it's been a journey man it's fun actually. yeah you know i love it i always like to think when i when i teach exercise physiology specifically bioenergetics I, I like to use the analogy of the human uh, bioenergetic system, somewhat similar to a car, right? And like what you put in, what fuel that you use, there's different like metabolites and junk that is with certain fuels, right? But there's so many topics and so many fads with nutrition that it's really special to have you on. And I'm really excited to dive into this. So I think one of the first things to talk about, you know, is, is just a classic macro what is a macronutrient compared to a micronutrient, right? Really general, stick with the basics. But if you want to just go ahead and riff on the baseline, actually, what is a carbohydrate? What's a fat? What's a protein? Why right. do we focus on macros, right? I like it. So macros is the way to go if anybody's trying to get bigger, get smaller, or just feel better in general, right? Because we can focus on caloric needs all day, which calories we find in all food. Um, but that's only going to get you so far. Whereas if you focus on your three macros, which are like you just said, carbs, fat, and protein, um, 
you can really take a microscope, a more microscopic look at how you're going to be feeling, right? Because each macronutrient is going to do something different for your body. And yeah. that's kind of what I focus on teaching all my clients is just like, Hey, eat your protein. That's going to help you repair your muscles. It's going to keep you full longer. It's going to keep you feeling good. Don't avoid your carbs. Don't listen to any of those silly gimmicks. Those might actually be your best friend, really. Um, That's what I preach to everybody. Um, When a lot of people hear about my programs, I'm sure we'll we'll get down to it later, but I preach carbs daily on high carb days and low carb days. I still get a lot of carbs. Um, And the biggest complaint people see is like, hey, I'm eating too many carbs. I don't think I'm going to lose weight this week, which is hilarious for me to see. I just kind of like sit back and smile. Like, all right, like, just trust the process, see what happens. Right. And they feel great. Um, they have more energy than they've had in years. And then they hop on the scale. And if their goal is weight loss, they're just, they're flying down, which is great. Right. Um, but yeah, so carbs, carbs are the energy source that we need for exercise and things like that. And then fat is definitely not one to ignore either, right? I mean, if you have no fat, dietary fat, you're not going to feel great at all. I mean, that's what transports all the vitamins and minerals from our food um, into our body. And that's that. Right. So 100%. Like, we didn't, we didn't like create one of these macronutrients. Earth gave us all of them. So why would we avoid it? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. We need a little bit of all of them. Right. So you, you talked about something really interesting, right? So you have, there's so many, I want to say fads and different dietary approaches. You have keto, you have high carb, right? I've seen people lose weight and gain weight on almost all of those diets. Right. Sure. But really it always comes down to energy in energy out as the basic systematic principle, right? So a lot of times when people shift over to keto and they're cutting out these high grant, like a lot big load of rice or whatever that might be, right? They're at a slightly lower calorie intake than they were before. If they train the same, move the same, same resting metabolic rate, in theory, they're going to lose a little bit of weight on keto. Plus we know that that can like some of that, you lose some water weight when you jump on keto really quickly too. But anyways, right? Generally speaking, it's the energy in, energy out debate that's at the basis principle, right? Exercise more, eat less, you should, in theory, lose some weight, right? And that's, of course, a generalization, but I think that's really important for people to realize is that regardless of what dietary habits that you have, energy in, energy out is really the basics and the fundamentals of what we're going to be approaching. Right. So one thing I tell everybody, whether they decide to work with me or not, I'm pretty upfront about this. I say the best diet is the one that works for you, right? Because exactly what you said, as long as the diet is giving you less calories than your body needs every day, you're going to lose weight. If you can stick to keto, then go ahead and do keto. But I know that most people can't do it long-term. So I try to steer them away from it. Um, Right. right? So if you need 2000 calories a day, eat 1800 and you're going to lose weight. Uh, No matter how you put those macros up, you're good to go. Right. So with that, I think there's another thing that's really important too, though, right? Is don't under eat calories as well. So no. yes, weight loss is critical. So let's say 200 below is good. But what if you have somebody in this like thousand calorie per day deficit, right? So if you think about that from a natural standpoint, if you're that have that big of a deficit of caloric intake per day, our body is basically going to go, oh my goodness, I need to store energy, yes. right? How do we store energy? It's fats. So this is when a lot of people develop lipedema and other things when they're storing fats and that fat is storing and increasing, right? So there's another interesting concept to think about is don't under eat 
calories as well. So where do you think is a proper range for caloric deficits to sit? So first of all, I love that, right? Because as you're losing weight, you're stressing your body out. You're giving it less of something than it needs. So obviously right. it's saying, hey, I, I need this food. And when you're in a minor state, like you, like you were saying, like 200 to 500 calories, you're okay. Like your body can deal and it's going to burn fat or muscle, depending on how you lift as energy. Right. When you're in a thousand calorie deficit, like your body's panicking. It thinks it's going to starve and it doesn't know when its next meal is going to be. So right. yeah, you're so right. Um, I go for like a max of 500 calorie deficit. That's because 35, we can get nerdy on this real quick. Um, 3,500 calories is a pound, right? Right. Using a week. So assuming we, we discount 500 calories per day times seven, that's a pound a week that you can expect to lose. Healthy um, weight loss. Yeah. And you're not going to be too hungry that way either. Right. Right. Sustainable. So I, I appreciate that because in my realm of exercise physiology, right? A lot of what we do when we work with someone for weight loss is we'll, we'll try to get as close as we can to the macros and, and the splits that they need, but we'll also add in the additional exercise stimulus. So we'll calculate, okay, you at six miles per hour, 10% grade today for 34 minutes, 30 seconds. In theory, you should burn 500 calories, right? So if you eat your resting metabolic rate in calories today, so resting metabolic rate is how many calories you burn as your body's just chilling. Let's say you're kicking it on the couch all day, right? Plus that extra exercise stimulus, then you can get pretty close to losing a pound a week, yep. right? So another thing I think you brought up is really important to make sure everyone catches 3,500 calories is equivalent to a pound in the human body, right? One pound. So I've had a lot of people come to me and basically say, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, whatever it is. And I want to do it in two months, right? Two months. So to put that into perspective, when you have someone with that big of a goal, right? I think it's really critical to break it down to the depth that you just shared, because if you're running, so when I go on a long run, so sometimes I've been, um, I transitioned from power training, some football and so on in college. to I've actually been endurance running, working on my cardiovascular endurance. So I'll go on a two hour run and I'll burn around 1500 calories, right? Two hour run, 1500 calories. If you think about um, somebody that maybe hasn't built up that stamina or doesn't have like the fascial capacity, right? The muscular capacity to do that. You can't just run 20 marathons in two months because that would essentially in theory, right? Generally speaking, be the equivalent of losing that much weight. And right. you can't really decrease your intake like of food. That. It's like not eating for how many, I mean, you know, let's say if you want to lose 10 pounds, that's 35,000 calories. Yeah. So 10,000, 10 pounds in a month, you got to, like that's you're Perfect. you're not eating you're not eating every day so you're going straight naked and afraid style for a month right <laughs> so I like that a lot. that's a, I think a really interesting approach and really important for people to grasp the magnitude of weight loss um, another thing before we riff too far into this how do you feel about the weekend and the classic cheat day I worked with a lot of people they're so clean during the week on the weekend they have four five six thousand yeah. calories right that averages to adding another pound so yeah you lost a pound but you also possibly gained a pound on the weekend yeah, yeah, yeah. simple math i mean you're going over what you lost right uh, yeah no i hate it right i mean it's cool i don't like cheat days i think cheap meals are okay but yeah. then you have to get into like what do you call a cheat meal because a lot of times on my program i have two high carb days a week for my clients 
right. and they can use it on what they want. I encourage them to use it for exercise, like heavy exercise days. But if they Got want it. a date night with your girl, go out and slam a burger. And if it fits your macros for that day, then you're still good to go. Like there's no right. guilt. You're enjoying what you're doing. You're being social and you're getting towards your goal. Um, so 100%. it's a spin it, really. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, and you're tapping into something else that's really critical to think about is it's a perception and the mental perception of what you're eating, right? It's that I have to have a cheat meal or I need to eat my sweets or whatever. And if you can unblock that and get out of that mindset, then you might have a much better chance of adhering to the nutritional guidelines. Right. Nailed it. That's 100%. something I do a lot is um, it's not just a physical journey, right? I mean, you have a lot of internal talk that you need to fix too. Right. 100%. Awesome, man. I love it. Transition on to one of the next topics we want to talk about, dude, is water. And so I want to break down water from, from a, a perspective of what I teach in exercise physiology. So when we get into bioenergetics, we have this currency molecule that creates energy called ATP, right? It doesn't create energy, excuse me, but we use that. It's an energy currency. It's really an energy currency. It can give a lot of energy and also receive a lot of energy. So we use this molecule ATP. And we split the phosphates off of it. And every time we split the bond, we get some energy and we use that. And that's what we use for muscular contraction and to bring things in and out of cells and so on, right? But what's not talked about a lot. Can I interrupt you? Yeah. We can get nerdy on this after the podcast, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on creatine, adding another ATP onto there. Yeah, well, we can, we can dive into the phosphogen system here as well. No worries. Yeah, we can talk all about the phosphogen system. Um, right. So with that, back to this analogy, right? So we have ATP and it's adenosine triphosphate. You have three phosphate molecules, right? And basically every time one of those phosphates is broken off, we use that energy to do something in the body, right? But ATP, the breakdown of ATP is called ATP hydrolysis. So we're using water to break down ATP, right? Our body, muscle specifically, is 75% water. So our muscle has a very high capacity to break down ATP, right? It has a very high capacity to produce energy as well. It has mitochondria. It has all these things that can use ATP. Fat storage, for example, is very, very low in water. I believe fat has somewhere around 10 to 20% water composition. So complete opposite from 75%, right? So fat does not have the capacity to produce energy and use energy. So water actually is an energetic system in itself because we use water, right, as a product. As, as like a, a product in this reaction, water plus this energy currency equals usable energy, right? So water really is life. Water is energy. And that is the basis of, I think what a lot of people don't understand with water is that, yeah, you get it from your foods, you get it from all these other places, but the fundamental roots of us creating energy to use within our body is water, right? So okay. with that, diving into the topics of water, you got to have water, man. You got to stay on top of your water game. So what do you preach with your clients? What do you work through to make sure water intake is proper? So there's some easy tricks to it, right? Um, I'm sure you've been seeing me sucking down this thing all, all podcast long, but I right. carry this around. And as long as I have this big, heavy thing in my hand all day long, it's like, hey, you got to drink your water. Um, so I mean, I knock one of those out a day. And then that on top of my other trick, which I preach to everybody, is just have a glass of water before and after every meal, right? Something easy, mm. you're in the kitchen already, you're going in the fridge, just pour some water. Um, right. On, uh, yeah, I mean, it's good. It works well. On top of that, I won't recommend it like to everybody, but if you're working hard, if you're a sweaty person, like you're basically getting as much water out as you're putting in, 
an electrolyte supplement could be super helpful too. 100% salt retention. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I take salt tablets anytime I run here in Hawaii. It's so hot and humid. I have to have salt tablets unless I get, I get dehydration headaches because I'll lose four to five pounds of water weight in a run, which is I believe three and a half to five liters. So I can't drink that much more that. So I need to load up on my salt to retain salt for sure. Got it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, And then, so you, yeah, you had a question also on creatine phosphate. Yeah. And creatine. So yeah, creatine. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it just because that adds a, another molecule of ATP, correct? Correct. Yeah. So creatine, creatine is, uh, to give you an analogy, creatine is like a, it's like a taxi for phosphates. Hmm. So we talked about ATP is three, as adenosine triphosphate has three phosphates, right? So you got this uh, ATP molecule and every yeah. time it cleaves, we break off, we use that energy. So what creatine does is after that cleaves, creatine donates its phosphate to ADP that has the two to create another ATP. And then we reuse it again through that first energy pathway. So it creates a circuit, right? What's really, really cool about creatine is that after it drops it off, creatine goes to the outer cell of the mitochondria where there's creatine kinase, basically an enzyme that we use to um, take and bind, generally speaking, bind another phosphate back to that creatine that now doesn't have any passengers, right? And yes. it takes it back out into the cell and then donates again to ADP and we reuse it over and over again, right? So creatine is a really, really cool molecule that I consider the Uber driver of phosphates, right? It's basically the Uber driver. So it drops off a phosphate. It gets a call to go back to the mitochondria. It picks up a phosphate on the outer edge, takes it back to ADP, drops it off, and it keeps that cyclical thing going. So what's really, really cool about creatine, if you think about it in that bioenergetic fashion, is that creatine is actually really, really critical for a couple of things. One of which is just energy, right? So just flat out energy. If you have more creatine, in theory, you have more taxi drivers available to pick up and drop off phosphates. So you should be able to perform anaerobic bouts of exercise, zero to 15, possibly up to 30 seconds with a little bit more volume, right? You should be able to produce more energy in that time, hence perform a little bit better. The other really cool thing about creatine phosphate is that the phosphatidin system is also responsible for ATP regeneration, right? So if you go really hard and then you come down to a moderate intensity, that phosphatidin system's rebuilding your energy storage. So the creatine phosphate is helping with recovery as well. So it's almost best to think about creatine as a one energy source, as well as a recovery molecule, because it's re-increasing the size of your, your stored phosphate that you can use when you start training. So that's the, the bioenergetic foundation of creatine phosphate and why it's used in almost every, like there's so many studies. I think it's probably one of the most highly studied energy yeah. compounds that we have. And there's very, very little negative things that have ever came out with creatine. I know it's uh, when I was back in high school, right? It was like protein, pre-workout and creatine. And right. back then, like they didn't have as many studies for creatine. So I asked my doctor, like, Hey doc, I want some creatine. He looked at me like it was steroids or something. And really? now it's like, it's like, there's so much evidence about it, how positive it is. 100%. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You're basically increasing your capacity to have more Uber drivers in the cell, right? So yeah. more capacity to drop off phosphates and pick up phosphates, yeah. give you more better energy production, improve metabolism and so on. So it's definitely beneficial. It does come with a little bit of stored water, 
mm. right? So it does come up with a little bit of extra stored water in the muscle cell. But remember, water we use for energy, right? So yeah. there's a reason if yeah. you think bioenergetically that we store some extra water if we have a lot more extra creatine because we're going to be producing more energy that sure. water molecule itself. So, um, yeah, hope that answered your question on the, on the phosphogen system as yeah, well. Exactly. I love it. That is my absolute favorite um, bioenergetic system. And I spend an entire week just on that system as I'm teaching my exercise physiology course. So, yeah, it goes, we can go a lot deeper, but that's probably a good highlight of the phosphogen system, generalizing 100%. Another thing that you, you brought up was whole foods, right? And so I think this is a really, really important thing to think about. I always use this analogy for the Educated Athlete podcast specifically. The whole purpose of this is to give people some useful information, right? So let's say you're going to Taco Bell. Your friends go to Taco Bell. It's okay. Saturday. It's a vibe. You're just, you're there. You're going to get it, right? So you're looking at the menu. You're sitting your, yourself. So I think everyone's an athlete, right? You're in the drive-thru and you're thinking, what am I going to order? You've got like fried flautas, you've got like all these other things, right? right? And then you have quesadillas, you've got like the soda, Mountain Dew Baja Blast, which I love. The and then, right, 100%. But then it's like, wait, how about just a bean and cheese burrito or, right? There's all these other options and things that you can think about that get you closer to that whole food concept. Right. So let's dive into whole foods and your thoughts on whole foods and how important it is stay away from as many processed foods as possible. So, I mean, you just made it pretty easy, right? I mean, you named, you named two foods that you know what they are. You understand that they're grown from the earth, right? Like, where's a bean come from? Everybody knows it comes from the earth, it sprouts. Right. But uh, like, where's a quesadilla come from? Is there a quesadilla tree down the road or anything? 100%. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, just think about it that way. Like, if you don't know how something's grown, it's probably not grown. Um, in grown, I mean, I mean beef, I mean meats as well, but vegetables, right. and meats, those are natural things. Whereas you look at, let's say oils, we could get real nerdy about oils and the quality of fats. Um, 100%. But if you look at olive oils and avocado oils, you know what olive is, you know what avocado is. Right. On the other hand, you can look at things like canola oil. And if you ask- What's anybody, canola? Yeah, what's the canola? <laughs> what's the canola? Um, oh, I have one in my yard. It's over there by the banana tree. <laughs> That's a Toyota, bro. It's a Corolla. Right. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I've heard something that I think is really, really critical and, and important with this is asking yourself the question, how processed is this food? Yeah. I think that is a, a very good educational tool and tip before you eat. Just think how processed is this food? And if you think to yourself, this is really processed and you're going to choose to have it anyway, cool. But at least try to process and think how processed is this food? AKA, how many steps did this food take to come from grown, like you said, to how I'm ingesting it now? Yeah. So, I mean, you can look at it like if you look at the back of anything, like a, like a fruit roll-up, say there's so many dyes and chemicals in there. And uh, something that I give a lot of my clients, like just to make it simple, is if you can't pronounce it, it's probably not natural, right? So right. like xylitol, sugar alcohols, things like that. Not natural, try and avoid it if you can. Got it. Um, there's plenty of ways to make a healthy meal, a tasty meal, I should say, from natural foods. Right. Yeah. 100%. Whole foods. I love it. You got it. Dude, you are what you eat. You know, like you, you really, you really are what you eat. So yeah. I, um, I had this, I had a week where 
I basically just ate like completely raw vegan for a week. Like I've done almost, I've done keto for a month. I've done the whole 30, right. As a practitioner when, so I'm not a nutritionist, but I do have a, in my ex-fist course, a whole course on nutrition, what is macros and so on. So I feel like it's best if like, I can't say what's good and bad about keto if I haven't felt it. So I right. went through each and every one of those things and I did raw vegan uh, for a month. I did it for a week on a couple of days off. Cause it was kind of funky to figure out how to get as much enough calories. And then I figured it out and did a whole month. And yeah. that I think I felt the best on raw really? vegan. Everything was just raw, no animal product, really just raw. I ate a ton, like my <laughs> stomach, I think stretched. Yeah. Cause like you're eating things that are, for example, cucumber and right. spinach and all these things that have very low caloric like value. Right. Sure. So it was, it took a lot and it was honestly pretty challenging to get enough calories. So that's why it took me a week on a couple of days to like, whoa, whoa, I need to readjust. Um, and then I found some things, you know, found some things that work like peanut butters and, and other things that like I was able to get enough really, really high caloric intake stuff specifically through fat. So it kind of yeah. turned into a modified keto, but. So were you looking at a caloric intake there or looking at macros when you did that? Uh, I was looking at caloric intake, energy right. in, energy out. So I have a metabolic analyzer. So I know my RMR, luckily, like I'm right. fortunate enough to have one actually right here, the Pinoy machine. Um, but so I'm fortunate enough to know that. Plus I always use my polar watch. So I'm pretty close right. to knowing how much I should be eating ish. So I was just going the classic calories in calories out. Yeah. And to be honest, the macros for that was really challenging because okay. it was like, I was just, I don't even want to measure way. I'm just going to eat as much as I can and just try to keep eating and eating and eating. Um, and so I just, just thought I'd share. It was a really interesting experience, but I felt the best ever on the whole foods. You know? And no, for everyone listening, this isn't a, this isn't a push to just go eat whole foods or whatever, but it's always think to yourself, like if it's, I don't want to say do this in season or whatever it is, but if it's off season and you want to experience this with your diet, like go meet with your coaches go meet a, a nutritionist, right? Like find a time that you can experiment with how your stomach's going to interact with keto, with all these other things, with the whole foods diet. And like, you know, I, I like the whole 30 approach because it, you take everything away and you slowly layer it back in. You think what makes me feel not good? Like just being aware, right? The whole purpose of this podcast, again, be an educated athlete. What is best for me? And so on. So um, anything to take away from that though, just whole foods critical get as many whole foods as you can yeah it's about the, the uh not the macros but the micronutrients you brought into your body from eating raw vegan oh i was loaded i must yeah. have had some because i always take a, a multivitamin because i feel like my natural nutrition what i eat isn't suffice for like a vitamin point i bet during that i was i was <laughs> stocked yeah i bet i was stocked yeah. up 100 percent. awesome man so moving on to the next one i think this topic is something so important sleep hygiene right? Sleep hygiene. So to give everyone a sense of sleep hygiene, I myself am not good at sleep hygiene. So I work, I live in Hawaii and I work California Pacific time. A lot of the clients that I work with are up early about 6am. So that's 3am Hawaiian, right? 3am Hawaiian. I'm up every day. I'm not going to bed at, until maybe nine, right? Oh. I go into bed at nine. nine. So that's already at six hours, right? And then on top of that, right? I have a lot of other stimulus, business, school, dissertation, classes that I'm teaching, 
getting emails coming in. We know students in college live at night, right? Like that's when, that's when stuff's getting done. So I have emails coming through and so on. So I find myself laying there going through emails, right? So sleep hygiene, absolutely critical. I do take a lot of naps. I must say I go to the beach before I surf. Sometimes I'll take a nap in my car just to, just to get the vibe right. But a nap's not really suffice, right? But I'm working. So sleep hygiene, absolutely critical. What are your top tips on improving sleep quality, sleep hygiene, and so on? Yeah, so that's something I throw a lot of people a curveball on, right? Because I teach a nutrition program for a living. And when I bring up sleep, they look at me like I'm crazy because nobody eats when they sleep. Um, <laughs> but it's important, right? True. So a couple of things I'll suggest. I don't tell everybody to do everything at once because too much info is never great. Um, so work on one thing at a time, right? So the max, I mean the minimum, rather, the minimum amount of sleep I want everybody to get seven hours i know six hours is when like that's the breaking point when things really start to get bad but if you can just avoid it at all costs um and after that if you can't if you really can't like you you're not getting that amount of sleep so we'll just use you as an example right so if you're going to go to bed at nine um at least do the best you can and stop messing around with your phone and screens and emails like a half hour 45 minutes before bed um, it's the lights, the blue lights that come from the screens that will keep right. you up. Also, it doesn't just keep you up, but when you're asleep, it lessens the quality of your sleep. So you're not going to get that, that REM sleep that you need for actual recovery. Um, and then like taking a step back from that, if nobody's willing to work with me on that, then it's like, all right, guys, actually they're right here. Go grab a pair of blue blocker glasses, which I wear all day long as I talk to clients and everybody else. Um, they filter that light out so that you can max nice. the time out of the screen. But yeah, right. I mean, those are the main ones. Um, sleep temperature is another big one, 67 degrees in the room. Kind of tough to do here in Hawaii, but we do I our think, best. You know, that, that I think is really interesting to me. I might totally botch repurposing this, what you just said, but sleep temperature. So I was reading and uh, I was working with an anthropologist on a project at my last university. And he basically said that Homo sapiens, African savanna, cooled off at night. So our basically, like, basically, we need to cool off before we can really get good sleep. Is that accurate? I think so. I mean, so I'm pretty sure that's, if I remember it. But they make chili pads, right? So like people have heating pads, but they have these pads to go to bed and that'll bring, uh, sorry, that'll bring down your core temperature. So I right. think we're really onto something with that. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting. I heard that. Don't quote me on that. But that, yeah. I think that if you think sun goes down, right, humidity is not very high. So the temperature is going to drop quite a bit, which produced this time to go to sleep. Right. right Sensation right. and so on. Um, so we could get into the phys of that and, and dive into that. But I think that's important to think about. Yeah. Here in Hawaii sleep with sheets, sleep with a comforter, right? Or wherever you are, like make sure that you're able to cool off and can get to sleep. Another thing too is exercise before sleep, right? A lot of people exercise will make people tired, but it also increases your body temperature. So I've read some studies saying that basically, yeah, exercise before sleep, it's good. Like whenever you can train, train, right? All good if you have to, but ideally give yourself like an hour before you want to go to sleep so that way your core temp can drop following exercise because i'll go on a run here and i'll be sweating for an hour after even fresh out the shower like and i'll take a cold shower and i'm still sweating my body's still struggling so yeah definitely interesting to consider 
And then the last topic that we have that you teach in your course is temptations. Temptations. So I think temptations is really funny because I live vicariously. So my girlfriend and I, right, like we eat very differently. So if I had it my way, I would just eat veggies and fruits and snacks like nuts and, and all these other things. Right. But man, she loves patient. Like she's just very genetically gifted. She's Norwegian. She's tall, ex-volleyball player, high metabolism. She can eat whatever she wants and she still has a four pack. Like she's still yoke. It's ridiculous. But I'm not, I'm not that, that way. I gain weight, like, especially in my gut pretty quickly. So she always has cookies, croissants, you name it, pastries around, right? And it basically got to the point where I was like, how do I limit my temptations? You know what? Let's make you a cabinet for snacks. I'm going to make me a cabinet for snacks. And I will never go in your cabinet. I'll only go in my cabinet. And of course, you know, maybe on the weekend, a little drunk after some, or Taco (laughs) Tuesday, maybe I'll go in her cabinet. But I always use that to avoid temptation. So what are your top takeaways for temptations? How do you avoid them and so on? That's a good one, right? Um, so, I mean, first, we always have to be realistic. I don't tell people to take their whole entire pantry and, like, bring it to goodwill and just get rid of it because nobody's going to do that. Okay. Um, like, maybe pick, like, three out of five things. And like, all right, I don't need this. I can deal with these two. And then, like I was saying before, high versus low-carb days for my program, it's like, look, you get two of these a week. Like, you can, you can crush those Swiss rolls if you want just do it on a Tuesday or do it on whatever high carb day you want. Interesting. Got it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as long as you're allowing people to eat what they want and not like really limiting them, they usually do pretty good as long as they can get rid of about 50% of temptations and then pick right. a day that's going to work well for them. They're going to nail it every time. Right. Sweet. You yeah. Be, I love that. You want to be realistic. Um, right. Getting rid of as many as you can is huge. Got it. So there's a, there's a recurring theme coming up here that I think is really important for our audience to capture. And that's that having a high carb day or understanding what carbohydrates are used for compared to what fats are used for. That's the theme that is coming up a lot. Right. And so in, in sports science, you hear a lot of nutritional periodization. And so what that is periodization is basically long-term systematic planning of let's say nutrition would be macros. For example, this, during this phase of your training, you might be doing a lot of high intensity training. Therefore you need more carbohydrates during this phase. Let's have a higher carb diet and so on. So nutritional periodization is coming up a lot in the literature as well as training periodization. And so do you want to go from a very generalist approach of why carbs are important for training, high intensity, fats, low intensity, and make sure, I feel like this is a primary takeaway for a lot of people. So let's 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 handle that topic real quick yeah so inside my program i mean i could go on forever about this, this is, I, I love this um yeah. inside my program i need i require people to have two high carb days a week right so a lot of people complain to me like i said before that they're eating too much and they don't think they're going to reach their goal losing weight by eating so much food um but by eating so much food most of that being carbs and protein they're going to have so much more energy to play with their kids or crush their work day and then go crush a workout, go for a walk with their friends, anything that it's actually working in a super positive way. Um, right. More energy comes more energy expenditure. Right. right. And then kind of tone it down whenever they want. We figure out what days are busy for them and we'll drop down into low carb days. Um, so not only are we cycling, carb cycling, 
um, between high and low carb days, but we're also calorie cycling as well. So on the low right. carb days, when they're less active, we're also lowering calories. Right. Um, that's the main thing. I actually keep fats about the same for both days. I give a range to all my clients. So they will tend to eat lower fats on higher carb days and then higher fats on lower carb days to kind of make up the caloric difference. Um, Got it. The fats are great for mental focus and transport of vitamins and minerals. But yeah, it's mostly a focus on carbs for me. Right. You know, I think that's what's also important to think about just the general structure of fats compared to protein and carbohydrates, right? Is that basically, sorry, the military planes always fly right over our house in Manoa. Um, but basically one gram of protein and one gram of carbohydrates both are equivalent to four kilocalories, yep. right? Whereas in fat is nine. I'm so you can eat two grams of carbs and one gram of fat. And that one gram of fat is still more calories yep. than the one gram. So it makes sense if people are saying, oh, hey, like I'm eating too much, right? I feel like I'm eating a lot, right? But they're not eating very much fat. Yep. Oh, okay. Well, you're, you're getting this a lot of nutrients, right? Um, and then something else you brought up too is protein first right? Protein first. Yep. I think protein first is interesting. Has the highest satiety index, right? Makes you feel the fullest. Why do you think protein first? Um, so, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head there. So my general rule of thumb for anybody, if you want to get down to the body you like, is always going to be to focus on your protein first. That's going to keep you fullest the longest. And then you're going to be, re that goes back to temptations. You're going to be reaching for those temptations less as long as you fill up on your proteins first. So we're looking at meats, Got it. a lot of dairy foods, seafoods, eggs, stuff like that. Um, yeah. But that's what's going to keep our muscle on our body when in a caloric deficit. So that part's huge, right? If you want to lose yeah. weight, you still want to have your muscle and be functional. You need to eat high protein to preserve your muscle. 100%. Okay. No, I love it. I love it, man. So I got a golden question for you. Whole purpose again of this podcast, educated athlete podcast. If there's anything you can do to educate all athletes that are tuning in and listening, what would your advice be? Oh man, it would be uh, I mean, honestly, take a note, just a, a two-word no on everything we touched on, right? But I think the most important is gonna be stay hydrated, eat your body weight and protein, right? Body weight and pounds. So I'm about 190 pounds. I have 190 grams of protein a day. I drink a glass of water before and after every meal. Um, I think those two are going to be huge. If I have to add a third one, these three are going to get you both sleep, eight hours of sleep a day. Um, and you're good on the nutrition side of things. Word. I love it, man. Yeah. What's that? What do you think? Anything? What do add? I think? No, I think that's wonderful. I think you hit it, man. Your primary takeaways. Sleep good. Eat yeah. good. And get your protein in. Sounds like a recipe for success, right? That's it. 100%. Joe, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for hopping on, bro. Much love. Take care, man.